Good morning, everyone. My name is Drew Collins. I'm the worship arts pastor here at South Suburban. And I just want to start by saying this. God loves you. God loves you. Right now, in this moment, God knows you and he loves you. And my hope as we spend a little bit of time together today is that you experience his love and that we all get to know him just a little bit better. Today is part two in our series of talks about the Bible called The Good Book. Um, In this series, we will explore the overarching story of the Bible. We'll unpack the eight major themes that are found within its pages, and we'll discover our own place within that story. Now, I would guess that most people in our culture have some level of familiarity with the Bible, whether they grew up with it, Um, maybe they studied it in a lit course in school, or if they're familiar with it just because it's the handy little green doorstop that some dude named Gideon always leaves in their hotel room, right? Folks kind of know what the Bible is, but I would guess that there aren't many people who would say they understand it. Probably aren't a lot of folks who say, I get it, I get what the big idea is, I get why it's such an icon in our culture. And I would further venture to guess that none of us wants to spend time with those very few people who say they understand the Bible completely. That sound about right? Um, Using a very scientific approach I like to call paying attention, um, I've noticed this correlation between how much of the Bible someone says they fully understand and the volume level at which they communicate that knowledge. You ever found that? (laughs) Listen, I believe the Bible is inspired by God and has the power to transform the way that we think and the way we live. I also think it is beautiful in the way that it unashamedly gives us examples of how to follow God well and how to completely mess it up. In a culture that makes appearance a higher priority than authenticity, that tends to view mercy as weakness, and the ability to own one's mistakes as a character flaw, I love that God saw fit to include stories in the Bible of his followers getting it wrong. Sometimes I read stories in there and I think, if God is going to entrust his greatest work to morons like that, surely there's hope for us. I also appreciate that the Bible demonstrates the full breadth of human emotion. There's this old hymn that says, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And then this line, And now I'm happy all the day. Now, I'm grateful for the rich tradition of music in the church. As a worship pastor, I stand on the shoulders of some incredible men and women who have created beautiful works of music to help us express our faith. However, the final line of that refrain, it's good rhyme scheme, but as experts would say, it's wrong. Um, The Bible reflects back to us the full range of emotion. In its pages, we see the heights of joy and ecstasy. We see the power and beauty of love. We see the consequences of pride 
and consuming hatred. We see the many shades of despair and sorrow. And in Jesus, we see the personification of compassion, truth, and grace. We see all of it. Thank God. Because if you're like me, you want a Bible that deals with real life and not just what happens on one-hour Sundays, right? As we jump in, I want to begin today's talk with some group participation. For all of you introverts, this is going to feel amazing. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have our production team put a few statements on the screens. And I'm interested in your feedback as I pose questions about each of those statements. Now, with this first statement, this is important, I don't want a show of hands, but I want you to consider your internal response. Got it? Okay, first statement. God is good. God is good. Now, internally, would you say that you wholeheartedly agree with that? Would you say, most days I can get behind that idea? Would you say, I'm not so sure? Or are you squarely in the category where you say, I read your statement, I don't believe it, even a little bit? Um, as someone who grew up in a Christian home, and has followed Jesus for most of my life, I can say with confidence that I have firmly held to each of those perspectives at one point or another, and sometimes more than one in a single day. Um, can anyone relate to that? <laughs> yeah. Okay, for the second statement, I would like a show of hands. Here we go. Second statement. Life gets messy. How many wholeheartedly agree with that statement? Good, that's it. That's the only option. If you don't agree with that, I have two words for you. Family, holidays. I'll check back in in January. For most of us, it's pretty easy to say that life gets messy. Sometimes it gets messy of our own doing. Sometimes the circumstances are completely out of our control. But it's not difficult to agree that life gets messy. On the other hand, it's a mixed bag when it comes to saying that God is good. Even in the room this morning, some of us say, yeah, of course. While others of us would say, I'm not so sure. Well, here's a third statement, and it's the one that we're going to explore today. God is good when life gets messy. Man, you add one word in there, and it's like a monkey wrench, isn't it? I just want to ask you today to wrestle with this statement. Intellectually, emotionally spiritually. Some of you have recently come out on the other side of a mess, and you're now looking back and saying, yes, I know that's true. Life got messy, and God was good to me every step of the way. I'm so grateful for that. Those kinds of stories are transformational, and I guarantee you that there are people within your spheres of influence who will need to hear your story. I also recognize that some of us are in the middle of a mess right now today. Thanks for being courageous enough to come to church. <laughs> That's a hard thing to do when you're in the middle of a mess. So thank you for coming. By the way, you're in good company. There is no one in this room who's led a mess-free life. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and going through trouble, it doesn't mean that God's abandoned you or that he loves you less. In fact, the Bible's full of stories who dealt with real life and real messes and found God to be faithful and good. 
So today we're going to look at a few snapshots from the story of a man named Moses. To follow along, there's a notes page in your bulletin. And if you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to grab one from below the seat in front of you. But like right below the seat. Um, If there's one in a purse in front of you, or it's got like gold lettering with not your name on it, don't use that one. (laughs) Or to make it simpler, you can also follow along on the screen. All right, our first snapshot is from Exodus chapter 2. It's about this far into the Bible. Like table of contents, Genesis, Exodus. All right? First, some brief backstory. In ancient Egypt, there were a few ways that the Pharaoh's government dealt with people from other kingdoms. One way was to welcome a few of them in and assimilate them into the culture. Another was to proactively go out and destroy them so as to remove them from competition for land and for other resources. And a third way was to make them part of the kingdom, but to subjugate them in some way, whether it was through taxes or through forced labor, through slavery. When Egypt first encountered the Hebrew people, they were no more than a handful of families seeking relief from a famine in their own country. They were welcomed in, and they were given some land and allowed to make a place for themselves. As those families grew, they eventually came to be seen by the Egyptians as a threat, at which point they were forced into slavery by the government. This is how things were for about 400 years. Then along comes Moses, who, although he was a Hebrew, he grew up in Pharaoh's household and was raised as Egyptian royalty. This is where we pick up the story. In the course of time, Moses grew up. Then he went to see his own people and watched them suffering under forced labor. He saw a Hebrew, one of his own people, being beat by an Egyptian. He looked all around, and when he didn't see anyone, he beat the Egyptian to death and hid the body in the sand. When Moses went there the next day, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. He asked the one who started the fight, why are you beating another Hebrew? The man asked, who made you our ruler and judge? Are you going to kill me the way you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid because he thought that everyone knew what he'd done. When Pharaoh heard what Moses had done, he tried to have him killed. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. In this first snapshot, we clearly see that Moses is compelled to act in response to the injustice before him. That's a good thing. But his first action was completely wrong. It was completely wrong. Like, on a scale of one to huge mess, this one lands way over here on the right. Like, big mess. And the natural consequences of that action were very real. He found himself without a people and without a home, fleeing for his life into a desert, and having to deal with the fact that he had killed another person. Pastor Joe said last week that Moses is one of the people who would be on the Mount Rushmore of biblical figures. He's one of the major personalities in the first half of the Bible. He's the same guy God would use to deliver the entire nation of Israel from slavery. The same guy to whom God would entrust the Ten Commandments. Now, those are two major highlights in the life of Moses. And 
this is important. Those two major highlights happened after he completely messed up. In exploring this theme from the Bible, that God's good when life gets messy, here's the first point. Messing up does not disqualify you from God's goodness. Messing up does not disqualify you from God's goodness. Moses, one of the heroes of the Bible, was a murderer. Yet God didn't give up on him, and he didn't abandon him. He stuck around because he's good. He continued to love and work with Moses because he's good. All the same, I wonder if Moses could appreciate the irony when God had him transcribe the Ten Commandments and he got to commandment number six. Don't murder people. He's like, okay, I know that now. <laughs> One of the things I appreciate about the Bible is that the writers could have skipped that part of Moses' story, right? They could have said, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household, but then when he saw his own people suffering, he told Pharaoh to let them go. They could have decided that that murder thing was an unnecessary subplot, but they didn't. Now follow me on this idea. I want to show you a line from a letter that one of the early followers of Jesus named Paul wrote that explains how the Bible came about because it tells us something about the heart of God that one of Moses' greatest mistakes wasn't swept under the rug. Okay, the line from Paul's letter says, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture, which is to say the whole Bible is God's idea. He inspired it. He worked through those who wrote and compiled the accounts and the stories and the letters and the poetry found in the scriptures. So what does it say about the heart of God that when he saw Moses' greatest mistake, he didn't see it as an unfortunate headline to catch and kill, but he saw it as a crucial point in the main plot. It tells us that God believes in second chances. It tells us that his goodness and love are greater than our worst day. It tells us that we have the freedom to follow Jesus imperfectly, that we can face the consequences of our actions with honesty and humility, and at the same time, not allow our past to define us. And it tells us that the heart of God beats for us to know that messing up does not disqualify us from his goodness. Amen? Our second snapshot, it's from the next chapter of Exodus. Now, the Hebrew people were subject to slavery for 400 years in Egypt. Doesn't it seem fair to ask what God was up to during that time? I mean, after all, he's God, not Congress, so it shouldn't take 400 years to find a solution, right? What's more, this mess wasn't one that the Hebrews had signed up for. It's not like they pulled out the menu of messes and they were like, mm, famine? No, we just did that one. Um, ooh, unforeseen act of God? Insurance won't cover that. Um, oh, here we go. How about forced labor? That's the mess we want. Now, some messes we create, some we don't. The Hebrews had not created this mess. 
Now hear me, the temptation when trouble finds us is to think that God's absent and that he stopped caring. He fell in love with somebody else and left. But look at this snapshot from Exodus 3. Listen, listen to this. God's conversing with Moses and he says this. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them. Did you hear in that that God was calling people by name? I know your dad. And I know Abraham. I know Isaac. I know Jacob. And I know you by name. I've seen what's happening. I've heard the cries of my people for help. And I am coming myself to rescue them. You can see that God cares about his people. Like any good parent, he's aware of what's going on with his kids. He's present, and he's engaged, and he says to his people, I'm here, you will not go through this alone. Our second point is this. God is good in the midst of the mess. God is good in the midst, not in spite of the mess. you got to believe that several generations of Hebrews during that 400-year period, had to wonder where God went. And don't we also wonder that when we're in the midst of a mess and there's no end in sight? As a husband and a father, as a pastor, as someone who follows Jesus, I deal with anxiety and depression. At first, I hoped that if I prayed enough, or was more consistent in reading the Bible and doing good things, that it would go away. Um, I also prayed that God would just take it away, just heal me. I hoped that dealing with anxiety and depression would be more of a bug instead of a feature in my life, that God would release a software update, (laughs) and I'd be better. But to this point, after more than a decade, it remains. So while I continue to come to church, to follow Jesus, to pray, I also see a professional therapist and I take medication. That's part of what victorious Christian living looks like for me. Now to those who would say, Drew, you just need to remember that God will never give you more than you can handle. I say, I generally try not to base my life strategy on bumper stickers. And to those who would say, Drew, you just need to believe. You just need to believe more. I say, I do. I believe that God is powerful enough to work with the person I am, not with someone I think I should be. That's how good I think God is that he'll work with me the way that I am, not with someone I think I should be. I don't know why God didn't rescue the people at some point during that 400 years of slavery. I don't know why, personally, I still deal 
with anxiety and depression. But that's part of the point in today's talk. Following Jesus doesn't automatically fix everything. And he never said that it would. So don't you dare ever send a card to someone that says that it will. (laughs) What Jesus did promise is that we would never face life challenges alone. So when I give you a fill-in-the-blank that says God is good in the midst of the mess, I'm not trying to come up with a good meme. I'm genuinely opening my heart to you and letting you know that I've found this to be true. And as it turns out, the Bible is full of stories of people who were given way more than they could handle. And they discovered that God was good in the midst of, not in spite of, the mess. Our final snapshots taken from Exodus chapters 3 and 4. God had just said, I've seen what's going on, I'm aware, and I have come to rescue my people. Then God says this to Moses. He says, so now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, wait for this. Moses... Moses replied, please send someone else. That's hilarious, you guys. That was how Moses responded. The God of the universe tells Moses, I'm going to use you to lead upwards of two million people out of slavery. And his reply was, are you freaking kidding me? Now, in case you're thinking that this is God's way of getting Moses to do his dirty work, it's not. God tells Moses, I've come to rescue my people, and I myself am going with you, but I'm going to accomplish the work through you. Here's the final point. Anticipate that God will demonstrate his goodness through you. Anticipate that God is going to demonstrate his goodness through you. By the way, if you're in this room and you you don't follow Jesus, um, surprise, you can still anticipate this. God's shown me his goodness a lot through folks who would never claim to follow Jesus. So it doesn't matter where you're at in this room today, anticipate that God's going to show up. See, God is good when life gets messy, but most often, he will demonstrate his goodness through people like you and me. Now, you may hear that and feel like Moses, who, in response to all this, burned through his excuses with God in a heartbeat. What if they don't believe me? Words are hard. And my personal favorite from Moses, one, two, three, not it. Classic. And I love how God even played along for a little bit. When Moses asked, how do I know this is going to work? God's reply, I'll tell you later. Like, seriously, this stuff is in the Bible. Time and time again in the Bible, we find that God delights to accomplish his greatest work through us. Think about that. Likely, 
the truest and most consistent demonstration of God's goodness that your neighbors will ever see will be through you. Your life will influence them in the way you love, in the joy that you have, in the peace they feel in your home, in the ways you exhibit patience and self-control, in your ability to say, I was wrong, please forgive me, and in the power of God's Spirit in the way that, 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 that you gently remove their dog's droppings from your yard and place them in their mailbox. <laughs> Stuff like that. That's how they're going to know that God's good. Write that down. That was really important. <laughs> in a letter to a different group of early followers of Jesus, St. Paul says that we're God's masterpieces created in Jesus to do amazing things that he planned in advance for us to do. God's excited about the stuff that he's got in store to accomplish in and through your life. So anticipate God working through you. Look for it. Expect it to happen. Um, you guys won't be able to see this. Um, this is my last page. It, it, the heading says, Summary and Response. And in parentheses it says, Almost time to shut up. I just thought I'd share that with you. I did that for the people in the production booth, but I thought you'd appreciate to know that I'm almost done talking. <laughs> Listen, today we've looked at three snapshots from the life of Moses to explore one of the major themes of the Bible, that God is good when life gets messy. And we've said three things about that theme. First, that messing up doesn't disqualify you from God's goodness. Second, that God is good in the midst of the mess. And third, that we should anticipate that God will demonstrate his goodness through us. So where does that leave you today? You may be in the middle of a mess or still dealing with the consequences of a mess from your past. Or you might realize this morning that God's been presenting you with an opportunity to demonstrate his goodness, and it's time to say yes. Together we're about to enter into uh, a time of response. And uh, I'd like to invite the band to come up at this point. Listen, as we prepare to respond, um, this is, this is going to work really well for, for all of my fellow introverts. We're going to take a couple minutes to be still and to listen. Hooray! That's my favorite part of the day. We're going to listen to what God might be saying to us. Is, is he saying to you today that you can let go of the guilt and shame of past mistakes? Is he confirming that he knows your current circumstance and that, that he wants you to know you're not going to face these things alone? Or is he bringing up a way that he wants to work through you to let the world know that he's good? Well, let's just take a few minutes before we respond, just to be still and listen. Amen?